Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, my friends, I want to let you all know that my very first book, The Path of an Eagle, How to Overcome and Lead After Being Knocked Down is now available for pre-order. I'll make sure the link is available in the show notes below. All right, my friends, let's do the show. There is a story for everyone here because every story matters. Welcome, everyone, to the Storybooks. This is the place to be if you are a lover of stories, learning new and interesting things, and if you want to grow abundantly. My name is Jay Phantom, and I believe it's my purpose to help you realize your worth and become the greatest and best version of you possible. I am grateful that you're here today. Now let's journey into the story box together and hear more about whose story will be unboxed today. My friends, today's conversation is with the wonderful Sarah Kubrick, who is an existential psychotherapist, consultant writer, and columnist for USA Today. She was born in Yugoslavia and raised in Canada. She often uh, throws around the word nomad or worse still, digital nomad to describe her own lifestyle. Many of you would know her as being the uh, millennial therapist on Instagram, which came as a result of her sharing a lot of tips and strategies and content to normalize human experiences and encourage self-reflection. This is a a conversation that I really, really enjoyed having, especially because Sarah is a lot of fun to actually speak with. And I got to ask her some very, very important questions, uh, especially when it comes down to her areas of interest, which uh, tend to be around trauma, relationships, you name it. All, all those wonderful things and, and we cover a vast array of when it comes down to trauma. So her education at the moment is she is an existential psychotherapist. She received her undergraduate degree from in psychology from Berman University and she has an MA in counseling psychology from Trinity Western University. She's currently a PhD candidate, so soon to be doctor at Sigmund Freud University in Vienna in uh, psychotherapy sciences. She's also a trauma-informed clinician with a person-centered approach that is grounded in existential analysis as well as somatic and experiential techniques as well. So you're going to get quite a bit about uh, trauma, how we can heal it, why it exists in the first place, why people are so terrible. Why? That's a big question. I know it's an important question we should all be asking ourselves, but why do you think people can be so mean and nasty? You think uh, that's a question you guys can ask for yourselves. And Sarah does a, a great 
great job because I put her on the spot <laughs> in asking her this question during our conversation. So I hope that you guys really, really get something from this. I loved it. And um, yeah, if you do get something from it, please share it around to all your friends and your family. Let everyone know about this one. Sarah is also working on a book uh, that is coming out very, very soon, I believe. I think it's next year. Uh, so she might be back on the show to talk about her book then. But also speaking of books, my very first book, The Path of an Eagle, How to Overcome and Lead After Being Knocked Down is now available for pre-order. Links for that will be in the show notes below too. I hope that you guys can go get a copy. Uh, you can get the Kindle and the hardcover copy versions right now. Uh, and that will be uh, also available. And it is coming out in an audio book. So keep an eye out for that too. All right, my friends, you know what time it is. It is time to journey with me into the story box as we listen to the incredible wisdom, the advice, and the stories of none other than Sarah Kubrick. Oh my gosh, thank you so much for having me. It's such an honor to be here chatting with you, and thank you for working with the time difference and being accommodating. Super excited. No, I appreciate you being accommodating. I mean, it's super early for you where you are currently. I mean, it's in the afternoon for me, so I'm more than happy to do that for you. Uh, my very first question for you, before we dive into all the wonderful things of your career and, and mm -hmm. what you what you do, is what does success look like for you? Mm, that's such a great question. Um, I think success for me is doing something meaningful um, and not just something that aligns, although that's <laughs> that's part of it, but also something that challenges me and something that allows me to create impact. So yeah, I think that's how I would define success. When was the moment for you that you realized that was success? Like why is success meaning and impact? Was there more of a, mm. a catalyst moment somewhere in your life or was it sort of like this gradual progressive thing over time that you realized that? I think it was gradual. And for me, at least, I think success will also go hand in hand with joy a lot of the time. Um, and I think realizing that I can be authentic, if I can use that word, um, and I can just be myself. And through that, I can create impact and meaning was really powerful. And I think that that was a very gradual experience. Um, and I think being on Instagram was kind of the beginning of that. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think for me, you, if you have success, but you have no joy to me, mm -hmm. that's not success. <laughs> what do you think the difference is between joy and happiness? Is there a difference in your opinion? I mean, both are fleeting emotions. I'm not talking about constant, like ecstasy of joy and, <laughs> and <laughs> happiness. And I, when I think of joy, I think maybe something a bit more elevated than, than the happiness. I think that's the terms I was speaking about it in. Yeah. Um, and it's more like, wow, this feels really right. I can really stand behind this. I feel fulfilled. And there is something, there's an elevation or like a, a sense of excitement that comes from that. If someone, and it's not constant, of course. Of course. No, I, I yeah. really, I completely understand that. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah, I'm curious for someone that is sort of struggling at the moment with finding meaning, with finding joy mm -hmm. in life, what would you say to them firstly? And how do we help them find meaning and joy? 
Yeah. And I mean, it really depends on what your story was like and where you felt you lost it or if you even learned how to get it in the first place. I would say the self-awareness to me is kind of the answer to all (laughs) in terms of like, how much time do we spend and reflect on things that bring us value? How aware are you of who you are in the first place? Um, And if what you're doing, if the success you're getting is out of alignment with who you are, it's not going to feel much like success. It's going to feel like a task um, or an accomplishment maybe that others recognize, but you have a hard time embracing it or embodying. And so for me, a great place to start would just be, what does joy feel like for you? When is the last time you felt joy? What are your values? Who are you? And just sit with those questions. I think success is something that comes down the line. I don't think success should be our primary goal. So don't mm-hmm. necessarily chase success. Don't try and focus too much on it, I guess. I guess um, you can, I mean, it's great to have goals, right? But again, yeah. how do you define success? I find success when I'm aligned and I feel fulfilled. So make sure you have a definition that's reasonable, that's realistic, and that that actually is good for you. (laughs) I don't know how else to say that. If success for you is purely financial, then there can be a lot of arguments of like, how great is this for your soul? And what kind of person can you morph into if this is your soul focus? Not that money is bad. Of course not. Like it's great to have financial goals, but it's just an example that I used. (laughs) Yeah. It's not something like if we were to chase it, for example, and that was the only thing that we chased, then obviously once we get it, most people find that it's not everything and they're, they're off to the next thing. So I think trying to search for something that is actually more meaningful and does bring you a sense of joy mm. over the course of your life, I think that's a much more better way of looking at it. And it's going to help you obviously with your mental health too. Because I think, of, and correct me if I'm wrong, Sarah, mm-hmm. but I think a vast majority of people that are suffering with depression, with anxiety, comes from a lack of knowing who they really are, knowing meaning mm-hmm. and purpose and all those things. Is that is that what you've noticed and, and experienced being a therapist? I mean, we're not talking about clinical depression, like chronic depression. We're, but when we're talking about people experiencing symptoms of depression, anxiety, yeah, a lot of it is just so much noise that they are struggling to cut through, so much expectation, so much pressure, so much stimuli, and not enough introspection, not enough safety within themselves to just sit with it and figure out what is theirs and what is not. And either that gets really overwhelming or suffocating but either way you know it depends it will you lean into anxiety or maybe the depression symptoms but yeah I, I do think it boils down to these bigger existential questions which is kind of an ironic thing to say <laughs> boils down to the big questions <laughs> yeah, exactly if we were to sort of look at you mentioned clinical depression for those people mm-hmm. that don't know the difference between that what is the difference what does it constitute in terms of actual clinical depression. What I mean by that statement is, are you diagnosed with depression, right? Like according to the DSM-5, has a psychologist or a psychiatrist given you an actual diagnosis or are you feeling like you don't enjoy the things you used to enjoy and 
your sleeping patterns are off and you're feeling sad and you're not sure why you're feeling sad. All these can be symptoms of depression, are symptoms of depression, but it doesn't mean that you now have depression. Um, and so obviously there's different types of depression disorders. So I just wanted to clarify that, like, if you have an actual diagnosis, it would be pretty um, hubris of me to be like, it's because you don't know who you are. Like, that's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying if you're struggling with symptoms of depression, if it's hard to get out of bed, if you're sad, that could sometimes tie back to just you know, life being a bit too much and you not being anchored within yourself, which is really hard to do in today's society. Yeah. Like a, a numbness to life almost. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah I've been, been there. <laughs> it's not, not a fun experience at all, but I wanted to ask you in terms of today's modern techniques and modern strategies and what's mm-hmm. going on with the rate of mental health. Do you think that modern therapy is getting better at helping people that are suffering with clinical depression? So I'm not a depression expert. So take this with a grain of salt in terms of like, we all have something to specialize in. Um, I think there's a lot of proof that the efficacy of therapies dependent on the relationship the therapist has with their client more so than any particular modality. Um, and I think that that's a really powerful fact. <laughs> um, do I think that some therapies are better for depression? Absolutely. Than others. Um, I don't know what you would consider a modern therapy like, um, CBT maybe, or solution focused therapy, the more recent ones. And I, I think that there, it depends how the, th- this might be an unpopular view. So that's why I'm kind of hesitating, but I think it really depends on how the therapist utilizes the therapy, how well how good of a fit it is with with the client. I think this is something people don't understand. It's not one size fits all. Yeah. Yeah. You are right. So I did not answer this at all. This was like super diplomatic, but that's just honestly (laughs) my answer of like, you need to find what works for you. Um, And if you go to a therapist saying it doesn't work or it's not helping or it doesn't click, it doesn't mean therapy doesn't work for you. It means that modality doesn't probably work for you. Yeah. I didn't ask you the right question. I probably should have asked you the question that, you are more familiar with in terms of researching like that, that area, which is trauma. Mm-hmm. And I think yeah. <laughs> trauma is such a, a widespread and, and big subject that more and more people are getting to know about today. So mm-hmm. how does someone know that they have experienced a trauma in the first place? Yeah. Right. So this is a great question in terms of have you experienced something that has altered the way that you perceive yourself and the world around you that has altered the way that you can engage with yourself and the world around you right um this is how i would define or see and how i've experienced trauma um and so Traumatic things can happen to us to, for example, the two of us can be walking down the street, something traumatic can happen, and one of us can experience it as traumatic and be impacted by it. And the other one, it can be like, that was an unpleasant thing that's happened, but it actually hasn't impacted my life significantly. And that's the interesting thing about trauma. It's a lot about the impact. It's a lot about the experience itself. Um, does that answer your question? It does actually. Yeah. Uh, and and for those people that are wondering about 
sort of like, why do we have trauma in the first place? Like, what have you learned and discovered about the fact of like, why does trauma exist? <laughs> like, it's such a, it's such a sucky thing. Like, why, why do we have it? I know it's You're asking really like, yeah, really hard questions here. <laughs> um, I think trauma in the, also I study moral trauma, which is a bit different and very interesting way in my opinion. <laughs> but I think trauma happens when um, imagine you have a script of life of how you think things are and how they exist and how you can stay safe. And something happens that completely challenges that script, that rips it apart. And it's something that was usually unexpected, uncontrolled, and very threatening. And it happens because our coping mechanisms usually can't compensate for that degree of attack, if I can say. Um, and so it doesn't know what to do with this information. It doesn't know how to self-preserve maybe in that moment. It's, you know, you're in shock quite literally. And so it, it happens because it overwhelms the system. It totally throws out your script altogether. Yeah, I remember Bessel van der Kolk, the guy that wrote The Body yeah, Keeper's Score. Amazing. Yeah, he wrote, he said to me, he's like, it's that, oh, crap moment like that yeah. you get. and. He's right, like 100%. Like it's that, oh. that sudden shock that it's, you, yeah, jolts the system. And I remember like someone asked me what it was like to live through childhood trauma of experiencing wars. And I remember saying like the first time I saw a bomb land not very far from where I was standing, I just stared at it. And because I had no reference point of what I should be feeling or thinking, because it was so outside of anything I could have imagined, I felt and thought nothing. <laughs> it was like this like complete just surrealness of, of the experience. And anything I thought about the world in that moment, anything I thought about myself was completely shattered. There was no foundation on which I was standing on anymore. And wow. so that's like a, a very tangible feeling moment for me of like holy shit yeah <laughs> yeah i just didn't want to swear <laughs> oh sorry no 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 you're you're fine like you can you can swear uh, all you want i i personally don't swear so <laughs> no that's great on my show but that's um yeah it's interesting because you you shared something that i wanted to go into which is mm -hmm. i guess your own trauma and thank you for sharing that but how did you go up? You said like you experienced wars, like are you able to share a little bit more about how you grew up? Yeah, of course. And again, I want to say like, I'm one of those very lucky people that I've lived through some pretty insane things, objectively speaking. Um, and of course, like fireworks still kind of bother me. Like I don't love them. Um, and when I hear air sirens, it triggers me, but not to the extent where you know, I would be diagnosed with PTSD. So like, I, I'm actually quite lucky considering. Um, but yeah, I was born in Bosnia and the Bosnian war started and there was, I mean, it wasn't just a war, it was a genocide. Um, and so that was kind of my family's first encounter with, with that. And then we moved to Serbia and then the Kosovo war started. Um, and that's the one that I remember more clearly, obviously, because I was older and that entailed, you know, being in bomb shelters a lot of the time, um, it entailed trying to leave the country. 
And we, for some reason, we couldn't leave all together. So I was about seven years old and I had to leave the country by myself. Um, That itself was probably more traumatizing than anything. Um, Just the separation from family. Um, So yeah, that, that's kind of the background. What was it like for you to go out on your own? Like, can you describe the feelings and um, I mean, obviously my parents went as far as they could, but yeah. there was, I remember one bus that I had to take. I think that was across Bosnia. I honestly don't even remember. And it was absolutely horrifying because you are getting on a dark bus. Um, everyone is crying or upset because whoever is leaving is leaving for this exact same reason. And I'm hoping that someone will get me on the other side and I'm not even sure who will get me on the other side, uh, when they will get me on the other side or what the other side looks like. So um, think about all the unknowns. Um, they were all combined together. <laughs> so that was that was the experience. You're a seven year old going across to somewhat safety, right? Yes. And what, what happened after that? Like, did you stay with friends and family over in safety or did you have to find your own way? So there's several times that I went and actually my family and I, we were trying to reconcile the timelines and most of us can't, which I think is just trauma. Like I think we kind of blocked it out. Even my mom and I were like, I remember one time being in Bosnia and being in an empty apartment with her and hearing planes and crying because I knew they were going to the place where my dad was living at the time. Like he was still in Serbia. Um, but at that point, I think I was at my grandparents' place and my, both my siblings and I reunited there and we stayed with my grandpa on a farm and that was nice. (laughs) I don't know if I can use that word, but that was nice given the context. Um, and my parents, however, they, they stayed in Serbia and they had to stay in Serbia. So, um, we didn't see them for several months. Did you have somewhat of a, a normal life? after that like were you able to go to school study that sort of thing yeah so I was like in grade two when this happened so obviously I stopped studying um and we almost like six months later immigrated to Canada um so then I started school um but that came with its own set of challenges you're moving to a country where you don't know anybody I didn't speak the language um I started school, not speaking the language. Um, obviously our financial situation was pretty horrible. Um, so yeah, that was, uh, that was a challenge of its own, but it, it was okay. Cause I was really young and it was, I wanted to make friends. So I learned the language. <laughs> it kind of, you know, I, I tried, but I think the most difficult part of it was that kids that age just had such different lives and different experiences and different worries that it took me a really long time not to be resentful as a kid to be like, wow, you cried because of Christmas, you didn't get new sneakers. It's like, I got a pin for Christmas. Like I, you know, and it was just, it's fine. And, and I, now as an adult, I totally understand that you can't compare um, your grievances. That's not how it works. But as a child, I was just, no one really understood what my life was like or um, my, my background, obviously neither should they, I mean, they're, they're children. Why do you think it's not a good idea to compare traumas or compare what someone else has gone through versus what you've gone through? I mean, perspective is not inherently a bad thing. It's okay to have perspective, right? Um, However, just because, um, let's say I'm using us as an example again, we're riding scooters, we crash, you break your arm, I break 
my pinky. Just because you broke your arm doesn't mean I didn't break my pinky. It doesn't mean that I'm also not in pain. So I need to validate my own pain. I can say, you know what? I didn't hurt myself as much as he did. But in reality, it's not like my pain stops to exist just because yours exists. Um, And I think that that's a really important thing. And people, as I said, like smaller events can impact people more. And sometimes you can live through big events and can have a small impact on you. So really it's about the impact that we like, we need to, we need to honor the impact more than the event, because if we are looking at the event, then we're in a position of judging and assessing if someone should be feeling the way that they're feeling. And that's not a position that we should ever have. Yeah. Is there different levels of trauma as well? I mean, you can have a a diagnosis or not a diagnosis. So yes, I would say there is severity um, of how much it's impacted your life. What what led you to becoming a a therapist, Sarah? What's the story behind that? (laughs) I mean, this is the story behind that, right? Like, um, I think when I was younger and I lived through all of this, I felt robbed of my childhood a little bit. Um, and I think I became very curious as to like, it's curiosity initially where I was like, how can people be this disgusting? Honestly, like how can people be this horrible? How can things like this happen? What makes people tick? And that was the question I had since I was like nine. Um, and then I think when I got into psychology more and more, the question changed from like, why to how can I help? How can I alleviate Um, And so I I think because I've seen so many people who have been impacted by trauma, arguably the whole society there is impacted by trauma. um, I, it was just a natural thing. I never really wanted to be anything else. And I think part of it is obviously, you know, they say like, ask a psych what their master's thesis was, and you'll know what they're suffering from (laughs) (laughs) or like what, what their life experience was. And that's kind of true. I think it's always selfishly a little bit of like, I want to understand me and my experiences. And then it, it also obviously later morphed into how can I help? So asking the right kind of question about more what happened to this person rather than why are why is this person the way that they are so to speak maybe that's a similar kind of question i don't know um yeah did you end up finding out why people are horrible is it more towards just trauma or is it something else (laughs) I mean, I I do not want to answer that question. (laughs) No, I don't don't know if people are horrible. I I think that's, you know, the way a nine-year-old would phrase it. I think everyone has their own story, their own perspective, their own sense of entitlement, their own upbringing, their own wounds. And, you know, when that, when that kind of expresses itself in a way that's very self-serving and very selfish, we get into trouble. Uh, And then when we have societies or cultures do that to one another, um, then the impact is just greater. When we're talking about healing strategies for people, Mm -hmm. when Mm -hmm. they are going through trauma, Mm -hmm. depending on the kind of trauma, I know there are different strategies for each person, uh, but what would you say in terms of modern techniques that you've realized are some of the best? Like, I guess we mentioned there's, I guess, movement, there's 
uh, CBT. There's all kinds of things, but what would you say? Look, I like, like you have CBT, you have prolonged exposure, you have uh, EMDR. Um, I personally, again, practice from an existential modality. I love somatic work. Um, it really, it really depends. And I, I can't give you a generalized answer. I would love to. I know that people swear by MDR. I think it's listed as like one of the top modalities for individuals to use with PTSD. Um, so that's great. I also know people that were really re-triggered and re-traumatized by MDR. So yeah. um it really, really depends what fits for the client, how they operate, um, how what their attitude is towards their own healing. And so I think it's just finding the right fit is more important than anything. But there are so many wonderful modalities out there to help. How about for someone that has triggers and finding out what people's triggers are? Um, I think most, well, I mean... I would be surprised if any therapy ignored triggers altogether because y- you kind of need to know what your tra- triggers are. It's, <laughs> um, I, you know, it, it's important. Um, I would say CBT probably works a lot with triggers. Um, but yeah, I would be surprised if a clinician, a trauma clinician didn't consider or work with triggers at all, but it's probably possible. There's probably a therapist out there listening right now being like, um, it's not necessary. Me being like, sorry. <laughs> What do you love yeah. most about being a therapist, Sarah? Um, oh, I just love being a therapist. That's a great question. What do I love the most about being a therapist? I just feel so incredibly freaking honored <laughs> to listen to people's life experiences. I know that's really, really corny, but it's such an incredible job. It's so much intimacy in in a weird sense of the word an intimacy that doesn't exist with any other kind of relationship um where you really get to know someone as much as they want to show you who they are and you get to journey with them and you get to see them try to figure out life um and you try to be as helpful as possible and i think the cool thing about it is that i'm always humbled and i always learn so much about myself in the process as well um so yeah it's the relationships that you build it's the type of work that you do it's different every single day no two sessions are exactly the same no two clients are exactly the same so it keeps you on your toes and i i find the challenge um amazing what's the most challenging part about being a therapist for you um I think the most challenging part is when you as an outsider, which is so human, feel like there is a tangible solution or a change that can be grasped and they choose not to. Yeah. Um, it's what it's, you know, when they say like, you can bring someone to water, but you can't make them drink it. Um, I think feeling that powerlessness of like, I've done all I can do and I've tried, but at this point it is on you because I can't heal people. That is not my job, right? People have to heal themselves. Um, And so I think that when you see that, it can be a bit heartbreaking um, and it just tests the the patience of it. Um, But I mean, I'm sure people would say that just about me. (laughs) And like, Sarah could really be doing this and she's not. So I think it's a very human thing. But when you're a therapist and you see it, um, yeah, it can. that's sometimes the hardest part. How do you come to terms with the notion of you can't help everyone? 
I think it's a conversation around responsibility, right? Um, I'm not responsible for this person's um, life. <laughs> I'm, I, I have my ethical responsibilities as a professional, but like, it is not my responsibility to save or change this person. I can't do that, nor, nor is that in my job description. Um, and so I think that was the hardest part in learning and talking to other professionals about like, what is your boundary? What is, what is your responsibility and what is theirs? And then being okay with going, I fulfilled my responsibility. I tried my best and now it's up to them and believing in people, believing that they can and will take the steps when they're ready for them. How do you disassociate from a difficult story that you've heard or a, a difficult uh, event that at, at a day of work, how do you take that and go about your day in a, in a normal possible way without thinking about it? Is that even possible? Um. Not always. Um, I think it becomes easier with time and practice to to step away. Um, I think that, yeah, you know, sometimes you have a good cry after a session because <laughs> it is really like, you know, sometimes you're like, wow, I, I feel so much sadness for the fact that you had to live through this. Um, and what helps me a lot is I'll usually do something physical after an intense session. So I will go for a walk, I'll go for a run. Um, and I'll just really ground in my body and my own reality. Cause I have to realize that that is not my reality. That's, you know, that's that person's life experience and I can empathize and I can really be in it in the moment, but I need to understand that like, I have my own life outside of that. Um, and I also became very careful of like, I used to do like a lot of trauma work and uh, now I do more identity work. And so it was also about just being very careful of how you book things, like the logistical, the non-sexy parts of it. It's like, how much do you book? How many trauma, um, you know, um, how many individuals that are struggling with trauma do you book in one day? Are they back to back? How many overall do you have? Are there, you know, some relationship? Um, I'm not articulating what well at all. It's like, I haven't had okay. coffee, but it's about scheduling. That's what I wanted to say. It's just like being, being aware of your schedule and making sure that it's reasonable and that it's still taking care of you, even though you're, you know, taking care of others. A few more questions, if you don't mind, Sarah, this one, yeah maybe a, a tricky one to answer for you but feel free to to avoid it if you like but what has been your most vulnerable moment in your life Ooh. um this one no i'm just kidding <laughs> like you asking this question super publicly thanks <laughs> um vulnerable moment um, I think, oh, I mean, I don't know the most vulnerable moment, but I would say that one of the ways I coped with maybe the traumatic events in my life is that I became somewhat of an overachiever. Um, and that, so I was very high functioning in terms of just like, there's no way people would have known this about me. Um, and usually they didn't. And I kind of threw myself into academia as a way to, I think, have some purpose and structure in my life. And 
when I was in grad school for reasons that I will not disclose here, but you can read my book and find out, um, I started to develop anxiety and um, essentially a panic disorder. And it got really bad to the point where I just couldn't function anymore. And at this point I was in grad school, I was actually seeing clients. So I had to stop and um, I had to walk away. And this was incredibly vulnerable and humiliating for me. Although objectively now I, I see that it's not, maybe not humiliating. That's a strong word, but it was like, I can't hack it. Yeah. And it's very public that Sarah can't hack it because she has just stepped away from academia and she's literally dropped out for a semester or took a leave. Wow. Um, and I think that that for someone whose identity was so wrapped up in academia or accomplishments or that type of success, full circle moment here, um, that was a really vulnerable thing to do because it was, I had no idea how I would understand myself after doing that. And I had no idea how people would engage with me or accept me after that. Um, and so that was, that was a really big decision. Thank you for sharing that. I kind of mm -hmm. can relate a little bit. Uh, so something mm -hmm. went on in our family when I was in year 11 and 12 and I ended up suffering a major panic attack because I put so much pressure on myself mm. uh, and to, to try and exceed expectations of not just myself, but other people as well. So I wanted to sort of drown what was going on in work. And so that's pretty mm. much all I did. And if I failed a subject, I felt like a failure too. So I put like yeah. the, the weight of the world upon my shoulders and it just came to a, a crashing, crashing halt. So it felt like I was having this, this heart attack really wasn't it was yep. this suffering, like pain in my chest all the way down my arm, this crippling feeling. And then the paramedics were called uh, to the school and they ended up saying, yep. Jay, you're having a panic attack. I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm having a heart attack. Like you're a young, fit, healthy dude. You're having a panic attack, mate. We, we've done all the <laughs> the ECG and all that sort of stuff. But funny yeah. enough, that's where they all also found out when I got my heart checked later on mm -hmm. that I had an abnormally large heart and my heart skips a beat. So there's a, oh. a fun fact for you. <laughs> now you can tell a girl that your heart skips a beat when you talk to her and won't even be a lie. <laughs> Just it, be a fact. It works every time. <laughs> Trust me. <laughs> I love that. I love that you've used it. You've really leaned into it. That's great. <laughs> it's, it's real. So it's even more powerful. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, yeah. But, yeah. Do you like being called the millennial therapist? I do. Um, I think I'm surprised when he became the millennial therapist that felt like a lot of responsibility. <laughs> um, and, and it's funny cause it's my handle, but then it became kind of my title in articles, like the millennial therapist. Um, and so I thought that that was a great honor, but also with it came a lot of responsibility and I do, you know, I would like people to also know I have a name. Um, so I'm Sarah. And the reason for that is because I think it dehumanizes you a little bit. First of all, people assumed for the longest time it was a team of people working on there, which there isn't. But also if you're the therapist and that's your entire identity, which it's it's not my entire identity, um, the expectations become super unrealistic. Um, 
And so I think it's kind of like a pedestal thing too, but I'm, a, I am a lot more than just a therapist. So sometimes I'm like, so my name is Sarah, just, you know, just so you know, <laughs> um, do you have that human connection, right. Um, with other people. Um, so yeah, I do like it. And I also hope that one day, um, Sarah is in the mix somehow. <laughs> what do you do for fun, Sarah, aside from, I guess, running your page, being a therapist, what do you do that excites you and it's fun? Um, I travel a lot. Um, and a lot of it is for work and a lot of it is intentional in terms of like, I set my life up so that travel and work would go hand in hand. There's, you know, I love going to art galleries and I love having dinners with my friends and, um, I like to jog. I don't know. Uh, it really depends, but I, I like exploring the world. I like learning new things. I like, um, I like structure and I like routine, but I also like challenging myself. And sometimes, you know, when you travel every time you have to kind of have your own new routine. And I, and I like that. I think too much structure and routine gets me a little down. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> People can analyze that all they want. Um, but I, I genuinely, yeah, it's okay. I, I, I've thought about it. And sometimes people are like, is it escapism? And I'm like, no, I think it started off that way. But now I, I think it's such an honor to learn about different cultures. And when I see clients that come from different cultures, it's a great reference point for me. Um, so I, I think it's a powerful tool and yeah. Oh, I like it. I, I, I haven't been able to travel. I haven't been on a plane yet. So Ooh. yeah, got to do that. <laughs> <laughs> yes start slow start like sydney fly to that, sydney that's what i've been told you know like that yeah i want to go straight to america and i've had a few people say mm. no start small and then i've had another couple of people say no no just go all out jake go all full hog <laughs> straight to yeah, america I, I would just see how you feel maybe um you know just test that water sometimes people get super claustrophobic and or, you know, scared. And so you might not want to just be like sweating profusely for like 10 hours. I mean, Australia is so far, like, it's not a joke doing those like big hauls, like yeah. flying to New York. I mean, I, I, yeah, but that's just my opinion. <laughs> the 13 hour flight or something like that. I'm just like, yeah, me sitting down for a, that long and even getting up in a small confined space. Yeah. We'll see how we go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, that work be up to it. That should be exciting. But anyway, Sarah, I've got two quick final questions for you. Yeah. What do you love the most about yourself and your story? Mm. Um, I love that I'm comfortable with who I am. And this has taken years, but I love it. It makes me very happy that it doesn't mean that I won't change who, who I am or grow and evolve and that I don't see my imperfections or shortcomings. Of course I do, but I'm very comfortable with who I am and how I'm working on those things. I think there's a form of self-acceptance there and, and comfort that I've worked very hard on <laughs> in a week of like, oh my God, I don't know who I am. But no, um, and, and I think that that's a great place to be. It's this yeah, um, maybe, I don't know if confidence is the right word, but just, I feel very settled, very happy mm -hmm. uh, about my story. Uh, uh, that's such a hard one. What do I love about my story? I like that it's unexpected. Lots of twists and turns. I've had a very weird life. 
Um, but I think it's encouraging in terms of like, it doesn't matter where you start from, you know, it doesn't mean, I don't know. I, I think we have the superpower of choice and responsibility and of becoming who we are, regardless where we started from. Mm. Um, and I think that that's cool. I don't know. What do I love about my story? I'm not sure. That's okay. Yeah, I didn't give you much time to prepare for that question. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like Sorry. I'm like, I don't know about the story. People. It's a cool story. It's interesting. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> we'll have to read more about it in your book, actually, which sort exactly. of where, where do you want people to connect with you, Sarah, and learn more about you? You've got a new book coming out, I believe, next year in September, which is exciting. Yeah. Uh, before I ask you the final uh, question, actually. Sure. Um, so millennial.therapist is my Instagram. I'm the most active on there. I do have like Twitter and Facebook. My website's probably going to be great for when the book launches, um, but it's just social media. Uh, oh, and Twitter and Facebook are under my name. Ha, twist. Oh, so it's Sarah Kubrick. There you go. I'll make sure everyone knows where to find you. Sarah, this is Thank my all-time favorite question. I love asking all my mm -hmm. guests at the end. It's a hypothetical one, but I want you to imagine with me for a moment mm -hmm. that you've been able to reach the age of 100. All your friends and your family have decided to put together a film mm -hmm. for you of everything you've ever said and everything you've ever done. Don't ask me how in the world they got it all. We'll call it magic for the sake of argument. But they've been mm -hmm. able to get it and show it to you on your 100th birthday. What do you want that film to say and to show about your life? Mm-hmm. I think the diversity of it, like the diversity of who I am, I think um, I want it to show that I'm, this is such a good question. Why is this so hard? I only thought about it a little bit before and I was like, now my mind is blank. I have no idea. What would I want them to show? Um, I want them to show how I made people feel. I think to me, that's the most important thing is how did I make people feel? Not so much what did I accomplish? And also, I think parts of me that um, a lot of people might not get to, I think I'm hilarious. Like I, I want there to be like jokes. I want there to be like Sarah dancing in her kitchen. Like I want moments that are very dear to me that I don't share for a particular reason because <laughs> I don't know. I don't feel like the world deserves to see this, but uh, my dance moves. No, but like I, I want it to be a well-rounded representation of me, which means I need to live a very well-rounded life. Um, and so hopefully that is what I would see. And yeah, how I make people feel. You're a lot of fun, Sarah. Thank you so much for <laughs> your time today, your stories. Like I said before, I feel like I talked to you for ages. So many more questions for you. You're so calming to talk to. You're like, you <laughs> have like the therapist vibes. I don't know if anyone's ever told you that, but oh my God, no. I feel like I need to lay on a couch and just be like, so when I was 12, like that's how I feel. <laughs> <laughs> really? Wow. This is a first, yeah. honestly. There you uh, go. <laughs> wow. Okay. That, that has put me off. <laughs> like, that's jolted me in a good way. That, that is so cool. Okay. Right? Okay. <laughs> but thank you there so you much. Right Never here. too late. Yeah, exactly. That's right. I've actually been thinking about becoming a therapist. That's another story for another time. So yeah, that's why I was a little bit jolted because yeah. I feel it. I'm feeling it. Well, there I don't say go. that to everyone. I'm feeling it. Honestly, wow. Thank you so much, Sarah. You're awesome. <laughs> Thank You're you so welcome. Today. Thank you so much podcast. for having me. 
I really don't like this part because it means that sadly we have come to an end of yet another story. I just want to say thank you to all of you for tuning in and listening to our guest today. It is my prayer that you would have felt inspired, motivated, challenged in some way, and that you would have learned something new as well. If you would like to hear more amazing stories like this one, you can do so now by searching up the story box on all podcast platforms. It is that easy. And if you did get something from today's guest, please do share it around with your friend or family member who you feel could benefit from hearing today's story. And before you go, I greatly appreciate it if you could spend 30 seconds leaving a rating review over on Apple Podcasts. It goes a long way to reaching more people and building this community of the Storybox. Let's start changing lives through powerful stories like this one you heard today. Your support is always greatly appreciated. Until next time, when we dive back into the Storybox, I'm Jay Phantom, and don't forget, your story is worth more than you know. I'll catch you then. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.